Two weeks ago, we celebrated the resurrection of Christ at Easter, although it didn't feel much like Easter, where Mary encountered the risen Lord, whom she thought to be the gardener, until he called her by name in the specific way that he always said her name, and then she recognized him. And last week, thanks to Laurie's good sermon, we learned that Thomas encountered the risen Lord, but didn't believe it was Jesus until he was able to touch the wounds in Jesus' hands and his side, and, and then he knew. This week is the third story of the followers of Jesus encountering the risen Christ and not knowing who he was until Jesus does something particularly personal that caught their attention. There are seven resurrection appearances in the New Testament, and at every appearance it is the same. Jesus does something particularly personal that gives himself away. And if nothing else, this offers to us the evidence that the body that is resurrected is not so much the body that we carry now, thank goodness, but our essence that makes us who we are particularly and peculiarly in God's image. This morning's passage, I think, confirms this from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, through ver verses 13 through 34. Let us pray. O oh God, come to us and open us to your presence in this time. In Christ's name, amen. We know this story. It is one of the iconic stories of the resurrected Christ. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. They were probably a married couple about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets 
have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that is to say the whole Hebrew scriptures, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. He went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and he has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Do you find it fascinating that it takes the followers of Jesus so long to recognize the resurrection of Christ, the persona of the resurrected Jesus, until he reveals himself in some particular way? A couple sad and grieving are trudging the seven dusty miles, probably two plus 15 minutes, hours home on the first day of the week, which is the Sunday, the day after the Sabbath, after they had lost their Messiah and all their hope that he would in fact redeem Israel and bring Israel back into the place of power and free of the thumb of the Roman Empire. They had hoped that he, was, that he was mighty in word and deed and would redeem Israel. And then the stranger catches up to them on the road and playing along, he asks what they are talking about and, and they share all that had happened as if everybody knew, why didn't he? Including a, a rumor that some women had gone to the tomb and finding it empty encountered some angels who told them that he was still alive. They ran, saw the tomb was empty, yes, but didn't find Jesus. And then after calling them foolish, as he had done plenty of times before, he explains again to them that the prophets, beginning with Moses all the way through the Old Testament, clearly pointed, if you could see it, clearly pointed that the Messiah would have to suffer and be raised. Later they would remember how their hearts burned with them as Jesus walked beside them on the road. And they told these things as they went to see the disciples. As darkness began to descend 
they being full of the hospitality implied upon every believer, invite Jesus to stay with them in their home. And sitting at supper, Jesus reaches out and takes a loaf of bread and blesses it and breaks it and hands it to them and then they see it. As if somebody had turned on the Jesus light. Their eyes and hearts were opened and they recognized him in the breaking of the bread, Luke says. I, I, know, I know this is all about communion. This is about the Lord's Supper, about the way that when Jesus reached out and took the bread and blessed it and broke it, the same way that, that those at the table take the bread and break it and, and bless it and, and break it and then we hand it to each other. I know that this is about the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. And in the Protestant church, we claim that the bread and the wine, what we call the elements, are not Jesus' real body, but instead a sacramental presence that memorializes Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Whenever we eat this bread and drink this wine, we show forth the Lord's death, we say, until he comes again. We say at the end, until he comes again, emphasizing that Jesus' body isn't really here, right? We're waiting for it until he comes again. But his spirit and story is present in us still, we say, bringing us into communion with Jesus and all the saints. But in Luke's story, he has returned. Come again. Even still, they had no idea. Who is this guy? Till he took the bread, blessed and broke it. All about communion. But I have decided that I'm not sure it's the bread that did it or the words he used in the institution. I used to think so, but I'm wondering if it's something more basic, something more embodied. I think it's less about the bread and more about Jesus' hands. That it was Jesus' hands and the gesture that he used with them and the way he took the bread and the way he held it to bless it and the way he tore the loaf in the way he had done so many times before that gave him away. The same way he took five loaves and broke them to feed 5,000 people. I'm thinking it was about his hands more than the bread. It was about his hands more than the words, as if each of us not only have our own fingerprints, we have our own handprints in the way we gesture and hold and touch, both for good and bad. If so, think how much more for Jesus. He was a carpenter. Techne is the Greek word, which means someone who works with his or her hands. No gloves back then, no lotions, those hands are calloused and cracked and weathered and worn. If you shook hands with him, which I don't think they did in those days, but if you did, you would feel it. He was a tradesman. Yet those hands were also so gentle 
the way those hands reached out and picked up a child and put it on his knee and said, you must be like this in order to inherit the kingdom of God. The way those hands picked up some dirt and spit in them and made mud and then carefully placed the mud in the eyes of a blind man and brought him back to sight. The way those hands went against all of the temple purity laws and touched people who were meant to be untouchable, lepers, diseased. The hands that reached out and even touched the dead and brought them back to life. Those loving, healing hands of Jesus that reached out and held the feet of the disciples as he washed them and dried them with his towel. The same night he took bread and broke it and gave it to them. The Gospels use the words hands, fingers, and touch more than 200 times, and in most cases, it is about Jesus laying his hands on someone who, according to the religious authorities, should not be touched. The laying on of hands. When the sun was setting, Luke says, all those who were sick with various diseases were brought to him all, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. In the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus portrayed the love of the Father this way. Filled with compassion and love, he runs to embrace his son, reaches out his hands, and puts them around him. And Rembrandt was so moved by this description that he painted the Father's hands in that famous scene with both hands hanging over the back of the prodigal, and, and one son is masculine and the other son is feminine to show both the qualities of power and gentleness of, of the father. Rembrandt was a man of his hands. He was a genius with a brush. And in the end, I think it was just Jesus' hands, calloused and now wounded and scarred and pierced through his hands that gave him away. There are a thousand metaphors about hands. In the famous book, Metaphors We Live By, Lakoff and Johnson, they write, when things get out of control, we say they are out of hand. When we want to take control, we try to get a grip or get a handle on things. When clueless, we say we are out of touch. When we are too loud and talking, our mothers used to say, not so much anymore, sit on your hands. You ever tried to talk while you were sitting on your hands? I mean, it's impossible to talk without using them almost. Have you, ever, ha, have you ever had somebody say things are out of hand or have a personal experience and know that it's a first-hand experience? Or when we sell our car, what we do is we hand it over or it has changed hands or in the nursery when it's crazy, we say we have our hands full. It goes on and on. We give a hand. We lend a hand, we wash our hands, we find our hands tired while, tied while others reach in or take matters into their own hands or just handle it or grab it or hold it or clench it. And as I look back over the life of Jesus in the Bible, it seems that his hands taught as much or more than his words. And it was his hands that gave him away that evening. Is it possible that our hands 
carry with them as Christians the same power to reveal who we are and who Christ is? I remember my father, whose death at 84, didn't really know what to do with his hands uh, in personal encounters other than to shake someone's hand. I can remember his face, not at all, but I can remember his hands. They were, they were big like mine, but leaner, leaner fingers. I remember his wedding band. I, I remember how, how those hands would hold a putter with both index fingers down the shaft, although each index finger was slightly curved. I remember those hands teaching me how to hunt and fish and how to play ball of every kind and how to do yard work and how, how to shake hands with others. And when riding in a car, he would often reach over with his right hand and grab my left thigh above the knee and start squeezing it saying, how does a horse eat corn? Munch, 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 munch. <laughs> he, would, he would pet the dog with his hand out straight and a little rigid on top of the head. That's, that's how we, and, and every now and then he'd pet us the same way. My mother was always putting her hands on us, touching. She was, a hand, she was a loving, gracious woman who liked to show touch. And if you're sitting next to her, she's... But my father was hands off. In fact, he never did punish us, although he lied to my mother that he did. <laughs> One point in my life, I came to see that I'd missed my father's touch. And so I told him that, that I that I needed more touch from him, and it was as if he needed permission. From then on, he began to hug me and touch me in ways he'd never done before. He was a man, a Southern man. He didn't know if that was appropriate, and he was in World War II, and he probably struggled with all the things that he had done with his hands that were not so good. The last gesture I am told that he made when he died as my sister sat with him at that moment was to lift his hands, reaching out, I think, to take the hand of Christ. If all of this is about Jesus' hands, it means as his followers it is about our hands too. And everything Jesus did to show us what the kingdom of God is like, he did so so that we can handle things the way Jesus did. Whenever our hands are doing the work of Jesus, reaching out in friendship and not violence, love and nurture, not molestation or abuse, offering a hand up or holding out the hand of, a, of the lost or afraid or playing a musical instrument or playing the bells or playing the organ or playing games or making food or knitting what whatever we are doing with our hands is so sacred. It is a, it's what makes the bread sacred that his hands took it and blessed it and broke it and whatever. You know how much better food is when it's made by hand and not by frozen? <laughs> by a machine? It's, it's sacred. We use our hands in incredibly good ways, but also in not so good ways. We write or type hurts or lies. We 
the buttons we push, the triggers we pull, and maybe the worst blasphemy of all, I think, is posing as a man or woman of God, a priest or pastor who baptizes and lays his hands on and breaks bread with his congregation, then inappropriately lays those hands on boys or girls or men and women behind the curtain. That is the worst of all blasphemies. If Jesus tells us anything, it is how we use our hands that matter more than what we say. He's got the whole world in his hands, we sing, which is to also say that he's got the whole world in our hands, and he has laid the whole world in our hands to care for it as God's steward. Look at your hands. No, now, yes, now, pick your hands up and look at them. Look at your hands. Just look at them. And ask yourself the question, is God using these hands to reveal God's presence in the world? Is there anything that I can do with these hands that I am not already doing that might reveal Christ's love and presence in the world? I'm not talking about writing checks, although that's a good thing. <laughs> but it's one step removed. You were very generous in your check writing, and you're very generous in using your hands, I might add. That's what church is all about. We are the hands of Christ together. That's what community is all about. And the more hands-on we are and the more tactile we are, the more Jesus' presence is clearly seen in and through us. Go pack boxes at map and Jesus will be present. Go help out at VBS, usher, serve food, Thanksgiving breakfast, Jesus is present. A thousand things we can do that's hands-on. Even pray with our hands or hold them up. Far be it for a bunch of Presbyterians to hold their hands up when we are singing or experiencing the Spirit. But you know, it's not so bad. Now it's scary because techne, which was carpenter, one who worked with their hands, has morphed into technology, which is to say that it becomes more and more something that works on its own. Hey Siri, call Anita. I don't have to lift a hand. I have a friend who says he's really worried about AI, artificial intelligence, and I said, really? Will it preach a sermon on resurrection? So he told it, preach a sermon on resurrection and sent it to me. It was actually very good. <laughs> but it was not sacred. For no one had put their hands to it to create it. The question we have to ask ourselves in our life, however many 70 years or 80 years or 90 or 100, however many years our life is, what am I doing with my hands? The psalm reminds us this morning, bless thou the work of our hands, O oh, bless thou the work of our hands. And 
And until the day we are dead, let these be the hands of God. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, let your favor be upon us and prosper for us the work of our hands. O prosper the work of our hands. Amen. Please bring forth the gifts of your lives and your labors. 